Revelation chapter 18. Um, I'll just start, let's start by, I'll read and you can follow along. It's a, it's a longer chapter. We're going to uh, attempt to get through all of it this morning. So if, if, if you follow along, I'll begin Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. Paul, or John the Apostle writing, and he says, after these things, and we'll talk about that as, as we get back into this chapter. And if you remember last week, I, I said we began a new section last week. Or two weeks ago when we started chapter 17. And chapter 17 and chapters 18 and chapters 19 contextually really tie together closely about some events that are going on, some things that are taking place. And so after these things, he says, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Would you like to live there? No, I don't think so. 4, verse 3, all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. And verse 4 is just, it's an anomaly to me. I, it's hard for me to even picture what I'm hearing when I'm reading these things in verse 4. And I'll, I want to key that into you because we'll come back to there and talk about that. But in verse 5, it goes on in that voice, that other voice says, for her sins have reached to the heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you. And repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and I am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearl, fine linen and purple silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies, of so of this, uh, bodies and souls of men. The fruit of your soul long the fruit of your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of the, 
of these things who become rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance, and they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their head and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the, the, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall, be f and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpets shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of millstones shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of the lamp, verse 23, shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of, of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in you was found the blood of the prophets and saints. And of all who were slain on the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we know there's coming a day when these very things that we read about are going to come to pass. And Lord, we know you've reserved us as your children for a special future, a special destiny, apart from these judgments and wrath that we read about. And we're grateful, God, that because of your son, Jesus Christ, we have an eternal future full of peace and joy. God, I'm even reminded of the songs that we sung this morning, these praises of worship to you, that reminded us of your return. We know that you're coming back for us. But as we study these things out and see what's waiting for the earth and for those who will not repent, I, I pray, Father God, that you would encourage us and motivate us and strengthen us and equip us, God, for the work that you've called us to do, that you've set before us, for the good works, Father, that you said that you've appointed for us to walk in, that we would be strengthened and encouraged for those things, that we would wait and live with hopeful, hopeful expectation. Even in the midst of the times, God, where things seem so discouraging and so overwhelming around us as we look at the world and we look at the condition that it's in, even our own Wonderfully awesome country, God, as I study and hear and read about Babylon and see that in one day, in one hour, it was brought to nothing. Lord, it reminds me of just the, the pompous attitude that we have here in this country where sometimes we think that, that we're untouchable. But God, if it would be your will, we could be brought down in one day and in one hour. Lord, help us this morning to put our trust in only you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. As I was pointing out earlier, this chapter is a continuation of chapter 17, and the current focus of this end-time prophecy, as you noticed as we read through, is specifically on Babylon. All that it represents, 
and ultimately its complete and final destruction. And um, last week, we, as we studied through chapter 17, we discussed how Babylon, which will be a, 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 a literal physical city where the Antichrist will dwell and set up, it'll be his capital city where he'll set up his kingdom and he'll rule over the entire earth during the last three and a half years of the tribulation, is that this city, in addition to be a, being a literal physical place as we read about it and, and what, what we learn about it here in this chapter, but it also represents, more importantly, a world system that is anti-God. Babylon does. It represents a world system that is anti-God, a system that propagates and promotes itself in, in three different avenues, politically, economically, and religiously. And the culmination of these things will be seen during the tribulation under the rule of the Antichrist. As we know, there will be one world religion and a one world government, right? And all of that, all of the commerce and everything that's attached to that is going to flow from this central place. And in light of this, I want to point out that the attention given back in chapter 17, was placed upon religious Babylon. Do you remember that? The mother of all harlots, religious Babylon. Specifically how Babylon is the mother of all harlotries and of all abominations of the earth. Meaning that Babylon has always been and always will be the hub of all false religion, pagan worship, and spiritual adultery that's been perpetrated against God. In fact, it's through this anti-God anti religious system that the Antichrist will ultimately unify the world and then rule over it as he leads the peoples of the earth to openly rebel against God. And when I mean openly rebel against God, it's a decision they made knowing that when they do this, that they're siding with Satan. They're taking the opposition side in, a, in, a, in an act of treacherous, treacherous treachery against God. And in doing so, they give their love and they give their worship to the Antichrist and to Satan. Now, there's many reasons for why people do this, many motivations. But some of it's fear, some of it's profit, some of it's worldly gain, some of it's power. And, and really, it's the, it's the exact same reason why people maybe in even in more of a shrouded way do it today. But back in 17, and now here in chapter 17, if you remember, Babylon is personified as a woman, a harlot. And I know I've mentioned this a couple times, but we have to keep this in our mind as we go through this chapter all the way through chapter 19, because I pointed out last week in the book of Revelation that a woman is figuratively or symbolically mentioned or, or brought forth to us three different times. And if you look back to chapter 12, she's first represented as Israel, the nation of Israel. A woman is symbolic of her. Then if you get to Revelation chapter 19, you see that the woman is symbolized or symbolic of the church. We, the bride of Christ, one of the songs that we sang, waiting, waiting expectantly. And then lastly, we see Babylon is the other uh, figurative or, 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 or um, symbolic representation of, of, of a woman wherein she's portrayed as the mother of all harlots. And uh, she, she is symbolic in a greater sense where she's symbolic of apostasy, meaning everyone who has turned against God and everything that is against God and everyone who has rejected God's plans for 
their life. Now keep that in mind as we go through what we're reading here this morning. And with this in, with this in mind as we move into chapter 18, if you're taking notes and trying to um, break this chapter down so that it might be a little bit easy to discern, I want to point out that it can be best broken down into four sections. Okay, there's four sections that really help us see the greater picture of what's going on here. Um, uh, and uh, the first two sections, sections one and two, are identified by the sound of the angels' voices. There's two different angels or two different voices from heaven. One where we see a, a, a physical manifestation of an angel who, who shows up and his greatness, his glory, actually illuminates all of the earth. And then there's a second voice that's heard a little later on by John, and it's, it's a voice that's coming down from heaven, an angelic voice coming down from heaven. Those are the first two sections that help us see different things that are taking place in this chapter. Um, in addition to that, um, uh, we see that there are two additional voices that are heard. And these additional voices, the second, the third, and the fourth sections in this chapter, they're identified by the voices of the inhabitants of the earth. So you have two angelic or heavenly voices, and then you hear two voices in response to what we hear and read going on here of the inhabitants of the earth. And, 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 um, and also there's a response of, of the, lastly, of the voices of those in heaven, um, both of which are a response to having seen the fall and the destruction of Babylon and the fall of this anti-God system that it represents. So, with this being said, turn back over, if you had to flip the page, to verses 1, and, and we'll look at verses 1 through 3 first, because in verses 1 through 3, this is where we are first being told about the voice John heard. And it was the voice of an angel who has great authority. We would assume this would be one of the archangels that we've been reading and studying about up to this point. It's not one given to a name, but it's a mighty angel, and his voice that we hear is a voice that proclaims judgment. And in doing so, this angel who is able to illuminate the whole earth with its glory announces the fall of Babylon. And if you remember, this fall of Babylon has been previously announced in the book of Revelation a couple of times. First, Back in chapter 14, verse 8, it's first announced in the book of Revelation. And then again in chapter 16, verse 19. And if you wish to know greater detail about the fall and see just really how important or how significant of an event that this is, that this is and what it will be like, you can go to the Old Testament because there's two places in the Old Testament where the fall of Babylon is also prophesied about. And that's in Isaiah chapter 13 and 14. And then again in Jeremiah chapters 51 and chapters 52. I would encourage you to go and read and spend some time uh, in those passages which are prophetic that speak about the events that we're reading about here also this morning. But without going into details in, in regards to those, those, those other events that surround all of this, um, I think it's important as we look at these first verses to notice the repetition. Now notice the repetition of the angel's proclamation in verse 2, where he says, if you look there, Babylon the great is fallen. And he says it again, is fallen. 
And, and I think it's, it's important to notice the repetition because what we see here as we read on is that this points us to how God has, has appointed a double portion of his judgment for Babylon. Specifically, we know the first judgment is told of in chapter 17, which is directly against this false religious system, this one world religion that will be set up this, at this time. And, and chapter 17 kind of details that and accounts that. And then is fallen again, or not literally a second time, but in a different aspect, a different direction of God's judgment is seen now in chapter 18 as it's a second judgment which is to be poured out on Babylon's corrupt and oppressive commercial or, or commerce system. In other words, Babylon, the quote-unquote great city as we read it here, which will be the center of the entire world's economic system during these last three and a half years of the tribulation, what we're told here over and over again is that it or she is finally going to get what it deserves. And more so, we're told by the very measure of affliction that she has handed out, a double portion will be dealt by the hand of God, dealt back by the hand of God. And at the end of verse, th verse 2, if you look at it there, at the end of it, it graphically reveals the extent of this city's wickedness when we consider the judgment that God's being poured out on it, saying that it has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit. That's an amazing thing. I don't think that's a place you want to retire. You know, I actually think that we have a pretty good maybe perception and understanding of even a glimpse of what that might be because of the fact that we live in this prison community. You know, I've spoken to people over and over again who've come here and people who've moved here, and they go, there's just a, 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 an oppression or a darkness that we feel or sense when we come here. And we know that, that Canyon City, even though it's a small town, it has a lot of big city problems. And part of the reason why is, is because we house thousands and thousands and thousands of, of criminals or, or, or people who have, who have broken the law, who by, by the far majority are, are not serving God, and they've been concentrated in this one location. And I think that many of those people out there suffer demonic oppression, even demonic possession. And I think because of that, if, we, if God was able to peer back, and most of you guys know that I'm not very mystical, but I believe in these things because the Bible talks about them. But I believe if God was to peel back that veil to allow us to see into the spiritual realm that we know that is going on around us, I think we'd be shocked by we see the concentration of spiritual and demonic activity going on in the area that we live in here. And the Bible tells us it's not a big thing for Christians because really we're just to take up the whole armor of God, right, and pray. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But nevertheless, I think there's a uniqueness to the place that we live because of the, the, the geographic and, and economic and other circumstances tied to the prison systems that are a part of our everyday life here. And, and I, as I kind of relate to that, I think, imagine that a thousandfold with Babylon. The very dwelling place of demons and a prison, it says, for every foul spirit. 
And when I read this, I believe that we're being told that Babylon, this end times capital city, the very place from which the Antichrist will set up his throne and rule from, it will literally be a sanctuary, a haven, a safe haven for demons to gather to as they go out throughout all the earth doing Satan's bidding in these last days when we know that the Holy Spirit of God will be taken out as the church is snatched away prior to these events. And by this description of what Babylon has become, it reveals to us how Babylon is ultimately and primarily can be described by as Satan's unholy city. Since it is this refuge for everything that's the, the, in this world that is contrary to God. And that may even be a, a, a different or, or, or a, 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 an additional way of looking at Babylon. Not just a dwelling place for demons, but a place for people to gather to and dwell and to find safety for everybody who's against God. Everything is contrary to God. And according to verse 3, if you look here, this concentration of evil will flow out of Babylon and it will actually have an influence on all the nations of the earth and their leaders. It says, really the picture that's given to us is that it'll have an influence on them in the same way that, that alcohol influences a person who is drunk. I know what that is like. And it's, it's not a good thing. And I know many of you know from your previous lives what that's like as well. To be intoxicated. In other words, at this time, all the world will be enticed. All of the world will be enticed into following the Antichrist, into worshiping Satan, and into rebelling against God because... It becomes intoxicated. And it tells us here what they've become intoxicated with. And all that Babylon represents. Specifically, intoxicated by the riches and pleasures of this life. And it's still a saint. It's, a, it's, a, it's no different than what goes on now. Because riches and pleasure of this life is a temptation that Satan uses to intoxicate us. The world today. And, and a modern day word that we might use to describe this is materialism. And materialism is birthed from covetousness. And according to the Bible, here's where it all connects and comes to, covetousness is idolatry. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it tells us, saying this, it says, Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Everything that connects you to this temporal life that's inside of you. Paul says, put it to death. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he goes on to give a little bit of examples. He says, sex, in case you don't know. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. And he says, covetousness, which is idolatry. And he goes on to say this. He says, do it because of these. He says, the wrath of God is coming. And that's what we read about here. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And this is a good reminder for us because in the same way that many people will become intoxicated by commercial Babylon, many people today are being intoxicated by the entrappings of this life. Enticed as a result of it into idolatry, and into rebellion against God today. Now, as we are told that these nations, as you read here, become drunk by the riches and pleasures of this life, I want to point out that this description uh, of them becoming drunk 
makes a connection for us, showing us that they are just like all people who are in bondage to drugs and to alcohol. This isn't just like, oh, I went out one weekend and I had too much to drink. I'm not condoning that. I'm just saying that's not what this is. This is being equated to a lifestyle of drunkenness, a lifestyle of being intoxicated to being drunk and to being uh, being high on, on some kind of a drug. There was a point in my life before I gave my life to the Lord where before I would even roll out of bed, I would take my pipe and I would get high for weeks and months on end. A lifestyle and, and, and this is being described to us in this way, and there's this connection being made for us in that when people are like this, in, in like the citizens of this kingdom at this time, they're willingly abandoning, willingly abandoning and sacrificing everything that is good for the temporary pleasure that they can receive. Is that not accurately described, those who live that kind of life today in bondage to to, to, to sin, to drugs, to alcohol, whatever your, your sin is, it's the same. You're, you can be intoxicated by it. And you can, you can 100% give up everything that is good for the temporary pleasure that it can receive. One of the biggest things that we see today, uh, in addition to drugs and alcohol, is sexual immorality with the, with the pornography that's available so readily to our world today. And I know that these things are true because... Because drugs and alcohol and sexual morality and all of those kinds of sins that I intoxicated myself with, I did those for so many years of my life where I lived in bondage, where I allowed for those things to control me. And unwilling, unwittingly, thinking that I was in control the whole time. And in doing so, I sacrificed everything that was good and everyone who truly loved me. For what? You know, Satan's a thief, the Bible says, and a murderer. And these are his tools. And he entices us and deceives us into thinking that they're good. And we abandon God. We abandon all, that, all the good that God has for us. Family members, moms, dads, wives, children, husbands, work. I mean, it's not the material things of this life, but true things, good things. They meant nothing to me. Even though they, I still thought they meant something to me, I was intoxicated by those things, and I was willing to give them all up for what? For things that were destroying me. And I know this is a crazy thing when you begin to think about it logically, yet it's done by all of us, really, in one sinful way, of, way or another. It can be done by all of us, even as Christians. Because there is this satanic deception and this false belief that the sinful things we lust after are somehow going to be good for us or better than what God has for us. But the reality is, these things, they only bring anguish. They only bring despair. And this is exactly what is told to us in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 20 through 20, 20 and 21, when it, when it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Because that's what we read about here and how these people got to this place. And that's what happens to us. That's what I did. I said, man, that is good. And God says, no, Sean, that's not good. That's evil. It's not good for you. And it was a woe to me. Not that God was saying, God, you do that and I'm getting ready to clobber you. Much like I would say to my 
kids at, at times, <laughs> you don't want to do that because here I come. That's not how God is. But God says, man, if you do those things, they're not good for you. They're going to bring forth a bad result in your life. There's a natural thing that happens, and God wants to just protect us from those things. He goes on, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are, here's the key, well, this is the reason why, is because we says we become wise in our own eyes. Woe to those who become wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Really what it boils down to is when we do those things, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, and we have to understand that we go, God, I am wiser than you and I know better than you and this is better for me. And God says, no, it's not. And so as we see how the inhabitants of the earth in this time give themselves over to their desires and live according to their own will, what we know and what we read about here is that they in the end will exchange the, the passing pleasures of this life for the wrath of God and for the eternal punishment that is and will come. This is why it says in verse 3, if you look there, that they ultimately drank the wine of what? The wine of wrath. And this comes, I want, I want to point this out. This does not come as a result of sin. Did you know that sin does not send you to hell? It's a rejection of God and his will for your life. It's a rejection of his son, Jesus Christ. And so the wrath did not come from their sin, but from the forni fornication, it says, specifically, the fornication of the harlot who seduced their love and led them to turn their backs on God. And in light of this, I need to clarify and point out that Babylon is ultimately the seat of two things. Not just this Babylon here, but Babylon which is now also. The spiritual representation of it. It's the seat of two things. First of all, it is the, it is the seat of rebellion against God that comes from a heart that says, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Babylon is the seed of that in our heart. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And secondly, it's also the seed of self-promotion, which is the idea that I am the master of my own destiny. In other words, this is a heart that says, I'm in charge of myself and I will do what I want to do. However, the Bible is clear in teaching us that when a person sits themselves in either one of these two seats, that in reality, they're not in control like they believe themselves to be. Rather, they are nothing more, it makes it really clear, nothing more than Satan's puppet and their destiny is hell. Sadly, are there many people who are deceived and wrongly believe that they are free and they are doing what they want to do. But in reality, what happens in those moments, whether we're Christians who have stumbled into sin or unbelievers, really in that moment when we're in that place, we're being controlled by the lust of our flesh. The lust of our eyes and by the pride of life. And all of these things, if you want to look at it in kind of an illustrative way, they are the means by which Satan uses like the strings on a marionette puppet to get a person to do what he ultimately wants them to do. The lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, and the pride of life. But when we give our lives to God, 
And when we submit our wants and our wills and our desires to him, you know what happens? God comes and cuts those strings and he sets us free. Furthermore, when we put our lives in God's control and we choose to serve him, it tells us that our soul is satisfied. You see, we lust after those things because we think that's going to bring some kind of satisfaction inside, some kind of peace, some kind of joy, some kind of contentment. And it's a lie because it never does. Is all, You always need more. You always need the next thing. But the Bible tells us that when we give our lives to God, when we go, okay, Lord, I don't understand this. I really, in my humanness, don't see how this is better for me. I want to do my own thing, but I'll wrestle that out and I will surrender to you. You know what happens? Our soul is satisfied. We find peace. We find rest. And our destiny ultimately is changed from hell to heaven. Listen to King David. He writes about this in Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5. He says, trust in the Lord. In other words, don't do what you want. Don't try to satisfy your own will. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And you know what he says? And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he shall bring it to pass. Now in verses 4 through 8, We read on and we see the next voice that John hears is being accounted to us. And again, this is a voice of a a second angel, one who's calling out to the believers on the earth. And and do you notice here what what he's saying? He's calling to them to separate themselves from Babylon. Now we know that during this tribulation time, the seven-year period of time, that there are some people who will be saved just because the Holy Spirit in person is removed from the earth it does not mean that the holy spirit spirit will not be still working he will there'll be the 144,000 witnesses here the holy spirit will be working through them the holy spirit will still be leading people to jesus christ salvation will still come to those it's clear there's a clear picture and so there will be some who are saved because we also know that there will be some who will refuse to take the mark of the beast there will be some who refuse to follow the antichrist there will be some who refuse to worship satan and as a result most of those who resist the antichrist were told that they will be killed for their faithfulness to god we even read about one point early on where the tribulation saints who have been martyred are underneath the altar of god crying out going lord how long before you avenge our blood But some will survive. Not all will be killed. Some will survive. (laughs) And apparently, as strange as it might seem, some of these believers in Jesus, they're just not going to be hiding. If I was here at this time and everybody was trying to kill me, I would be someplace out in the mountains in a hole hiding out. What are those guys called? Preppers? There you go. Right? Right? Because Satan and his demons and all who are for him are actively trying to kill you. But what we read here, which seems really strange, is that some are going to be living in the city of Babylon. Satan's unholy city. And you know what we read here? We read here God going, you're all going to die. No. 
It's amazing to me what I read here because what we hear with this voice is God, if you look at verse 4, calling them out. Calling for them to come out. And in these verses we see that one of the reasons for why God is calling them to come out is because now the city is going to be destroyed and God wants to save them from that wrath, from that destruction, from that judgment. Come out, he says. And the other reason is because this city is satanic and it's the dwelling place of demon. And you know what? God doesn't want his people to be corrupted by it. Now, it's just my opinion. You know how I feel about opinions. But I think it's safe to say that the city of Babylon is probably not the best place for a follower of Jesus to be at this time. But the fact of the matter is, even we who are Christian today, do we not also end up putting ourselves in places and in situations that we should obviously not be in? Places that are spiritually dangerous for us. You know, and this is because there's an attraction, right? There's an attraction in these things that appeal to our flesh. And in regards to the future city of Babylon, we see that it will be the center of all the worlds going on at that time. In other words, it's going to be a really attractive place to be, and it's going to be desirable in many ways. So even though Babylon will be dangerous, both spiritually and physically, for these these tribulation saints, it's going to be an unsafe place for them to be. I can understand why it would be tempting for them to want to be there because we too can also give in to temptation and want things for ourselves that are not of God, even though we know without a doubt that they're not good for us. Such was the case for Abraham's nephew. Do you remember? Lot? Lot made some bad choices, and he began living with the evil citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember, in the book of Genesis, it tells us that Lot knew that these cities were evil. He knew it. That's why he didn't go there initially. He just wanted to go to the plains outside of it. And there was this progression in his life. As he looked up and he saw, it says, he saw that they were desirable. So, look at it this way, Lot left Abraham. To go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot left Abraham, a man of God, where he was prospering, and went to live with people who were openly against God. I see that as sometimes people going, I'm tired of the church and I'm leaving, and where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? The only option is to go live with those who are against God. And that's what Lot did. And if you look here in these verses, this call of God to come out, which we read of in verse 4, If you study out history of of, of God and God's people in that interaction, this is something that God has spoken to his children over and over again. And it's the same message that God continues to speak today because our salvation in Christ means separation from the unity or, or separation from the world and unity with God. And when God saves us, he says, come out. Paul, writing to the Corinthians about this, said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, it starts with this, and he says, it's so familiar, what? Do not be unequally with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord does Christ have with worthlessness? Or what part has a believer 
with an unbeliever. And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are all the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, he says, come out. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you. And he's a, as we sang today, he's a good, good father. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The bottom line is, this is something that we need to hear and that we need to be reminded of in light of what we're reading about. Because I would ask this morning... What are the things that we've allowed into our lives that we know are not of God? What is it? What is your things? What is your Sodom? What is your Gomorrah? What is your Babylon where you're dwelling in this place and allowing for these things that you know are not of God? What is the thing in your life, look at it this way, that is anti-God? What is the thing that is God that God is calling out to you this morning and say, come out from that. Come out. I want to point this, this out. I want to point one, one thing out before, before we move on. And actually, I'm going to have to end with this. Um, one more thing, because in verse 8, it tells us that if you look here, in this second section, it tells us that the judgment of her plagues will come in one day. And in verse 10, in, in other places that we read on, it even says in one hour. One hour. In one day, in one hour, your judgment will come. In other words, what, we're, what we see going on here, now think about this. Babylon's going to be perhaps the greatest city Worldly speaking, of all time. Of all time. Bigger than Rome. Bigger than, than some of the, the, the capital cities of Greece. When um, uh, All these different world powers that we've studied through. And all of their central power located in one place. This is going to be the pinnacle. Until Jesus comes and sets up his throne on the earth. Right? But think about the power and the authority and the wealth and everything that's going to be going on in this one place. I mean, they're going to have it all. All the new whatever is going to be there. That's why everybody's coming to get it and to take it across the world and bring it forth because they're becoming wealthy off of it. They're sharing in these things. And when you think about this, you go, how can that be? One hour, one day. And what we're telling is that when God judges Babylon, it's going to be suddenly. Suddenly. It's going to be completely and in such a way that there will be no escape for those who have not heeded the voice from heaven calling them to come out. Now as this is told to us, it needs to be a reminder for us this morning. It needs to be a reminder that our decision to come away from the things that are not of God they should be done without delay. Those things that you may be thinking about that you know, we all have them. We do. We compromise in little ways. It doesn't have to be a great simple thing. Maybe there is some great things in our lives that God's going, I've been talking to you about this. You know about this, and now's the time. Come out. 
don't delay. And this is important for us to hear this morning because often our tendency is to wait, is it not? I love that picture in the Old Testament when Pharaoh was suffering, the Egypt was suffering from the plagues. And there was the plague of frogs. Do you remember that? And, and Pharaoh goes, okay, okay, enough of the frogs, Moses. We'll do what God, your God says, just get rid of these frogs. And Moses says, okay, when do you want, when do you want that to happen? You know what Pharaoh said? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. The frogs were in their beds, they were in their ovens, they were, they were everywhere. But you want to know why they said tomorrow? It was because the Egyptians worshipped the frogs. The psalm is a god. And that's true with all sin. You know what? We think that a little's good. We can manage it, right? We can give our idolatry, our worship, our love to something else. Just a little bit, we can control it. And that it comes in a plague and it manifests over us. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Or like, like people who delay. Don't delay. Don't think that God's saying that we can move slowly. Don't think that you have plenty of time to turn away from the things that God is calling us out of. Often we get in this place where we've done this and we go, well, I know this isn't good for me, but I got it under control. And right now I'm getting some pretty good stuff out of this. The Bible says, your sin will find you out like a lion and it will devour you. point is we may be in a place where we have not yet experienced any apparent consequences of our fellowship with these things that are not of God but this will not always be the case really what you're experiencing is God's grace God's mercy God's long suffering and patience with you and he's actually protecting you for a time from the very thing that's seeking to devour you the Bible is clear in teaching us that we reap what we sow, and typically this happens sooner than later. And the bottom line is God is long-suffering, God is patient with us, and He lovingly calls us to live these holy lives with Him because He knows this. He knows that the pain and He knows that the suffering as a result of sin, as a result of not living lives with, with Him, is, 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 is also something that brings a separation. The worship team wants to come up, we'll end with this. However, if we're not living holy lives and we think that we're getting away with it because nothing bad has yet come, we should not be deceived. Because over and over and over again, as we even read here, we see that in one day and in one hour, the very thing in our life that God is calling us to come from can be the thing that will consume us. Or that God will allow the fire of his discipline to enter into our lives. And if we refuse to come out of that place and to come into that place of being in his will, you're going to get burned. So if God is speaking to you this morning, if he's speaking to you about turning away from unholy things that you've allowed into your lives, I would urge you, don't delay. Do not delay in turning back to God. God loves you and has graciously saved you from these things that want to devour you.